0: Today's scripture reading is from John chapter 9, verse 1 to 9, page 1061. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Having said this, his feet on the ground made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed, and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and bake? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No. He only looks like him, but he himself insisted, I'm the man. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Let's pray, shall we? God, we thank you for the gospel story. For the good news of Jesus Christ. And we pray, Father, that you would would open our ears so that that word would get deep into us, so that we would know you are doing business with us. Open our eyes, God, so that as the word works within us, we would see the reality of your kingdom among us. Holy Spirit, speak. Your servants are listening. Amen. What is a miracle? How do you understand a miracle? I think by definition, miracles are mysterious, right? They, there's no airtight definition. There's so many different complexities in terms of how we understand miracles. They're, they're a little like jello, right? You just can't nail them down. I want to give you two images from the brilliant theologian and young adult author Lemony Snicket about miracles. He says miracles are a little like meatballs because nobody can agree on what they're made of. And then he said miracles are like pimples because once you start looking for them, you find a whole lot more. So with those two metaphors in your mind (laughs) that you're not going to be able to put out of your head, let's think about miracles, how we understand a miracle their function, their purpose, is, is really important for us. In the Gospels, uh, at the very end of John, so we read John 9, at the very end of the Gospel of John, um, it says this, if all the things Jesus had said and done were recorded, there would not be enough books to hold them all, which is interesting. It means that the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, didn't record everything Jesus did. Which means that the things that they did preserve, whenever they recorded an incident, it wasn't just because it happened. Lots of stuff happened. It was because it happened, but also because it was teaching us something. Now, beginning in this new year, we at Knox are exploring the miracles of Jesus. We we believe in the miraculous working of God, but we want to know how does that work. We want to be wise about that. And these miracles of Jesus, you know, they're never these magic tricks that Jesus sort of pulls out of his sleeve. Ta-da! They were always both revelatory and redemptive. All the miracles of Jesus, both revelatory and redemptive. They, They weren't these raw displays of power. They both redeemed and saved people and they taught people. They saved and they revealed something of who God is and His kingdom. Which means, as we look at this miracle today, even though we weren't present for it, it has the power to change us, to teach us. Now, the account we read this morning from uh, the Gospel of John, it's a healing miracle. There's different categories of miracle. Last week, Pastor Nick looked at the, the water being turned into wine, which is a, a nature miracle. Jesus taking the constituent elements of, of natural elements and doing something with it, either transforming them, extending them in terms of feeding the 5,000. This is Jesus taking a broken part of the world and bringing restoration to it, healing it, restoring it, healing it. It begins, Jesus walking along with disciples, and we read, he saw a man born blind. The miracle is about sight, and it begins with Jesus seeing. When Jesus saw the blind man, it's not only that he observed the man, but that it, he took notice of him. Seeing throughout the Bible is uh, more than just a visual perception, it is about understanding. Understanding about perceiving truly. Like we, we talk about that, right? When, when you say, oh I feel seen, it means you get me, you understand me, I'm known by you. Jesus saw a man blind from birth. Jesus sees hurting people you know what good news just that little phrase is? Jesus saw the blind man. Jesus takes note of hurting people. He understands your pain and your suffering, which is so good to know because so often we can feel alone and invisible in our suffering. Every one of us is fighting a great battle. I know that. If I had glasses, somehow special glasses that I could see into your hearts, to see the burdens you carry, the hurts that fill your lives. I would weep, and I'm not a crier, but I know I would weep. I don't have that sort of insight. Jesus sees you, though. If your heart is breaking right now, Jesus sees you. If your life feels burdened and con- with confusion and hopelessness, Jesus sees you. If the ones you loved and trusted have let you down profoundly, Jesus sees you. If school is a horror because you feel like you are bullied and isolated, you're never alone because Jesus sees you. If you feel the grip of depression, if you silently suffer from mental illness, Jesus sees you. He sees hurting people. He knows you. What's remarkable about this little incident is Jesus sees a blind person and the disciples observe the same thing but they perceive a very different reality. In the blind man Jesus sees a hurting human being, a hurting child of God that he is inclined to bring healing towards. The disciples they see a theological problem. Rabbi, who sinned? Him or his parents? Why is this guy blind, Jesus? Who caused this man to be born blind? In reality, it's the disciples that are blind because they are asking the wrong question. This isn't a sin question. This isn't a blame matter. And Jesus gives the very blunt answer, neither. And what we see in the disciples' questions are are sort of two very common misunderstandings of suffering. And it's probably good for us to think about suffering in the context of miracles, so you got two common misunderstandings of suffering and then you get Jesus' uh, response to human suffering. Here is the king of the cosmos giving us his response to human suffering. And it's not a simple answer either. It's not, it's not a pat answer that maybe people expect from Christians. No, no, no. It's, it, it's critical we understand this. Did you notice the, the sort of implicit understandings in those two questions? Why is this man suffering Jesus? Is it his parents or is it himself? Two basic postures towards suffering are embedded here the first one is one of externalizing the reason i am suffering is because there is something outside of myself that is causing this was it his parents who did it jesus doing this view of suffering says if i'm hurting if i'm suffering i'm a victim and someone out there has caused that someone out there is to blame and i need to find someone to be angry at how many of us chalk up our problems to our parents (laughs) They're easy targets, aren't they? As a parent, it's like, I think, oh no, I'm that target now. We externalize, or we blame our circumstances. Not my fault, you know, it was just the bad conditions, it was this or that, or we blame God. God, why is my life this way? You see this sometimes in Christians, right? People become a Christian, and and, sort of an unspoken assumption is, God is going to make my life turn out all right. God is going to deliver me the goods of a fairly, of a life fairly exempt from problems. And yet when problems arise, it's like, God, seriously? You're not delivering. Here I am committing and sacrificing, and you are just disappointing me, God. We externalize the cause of suffering. Another really scary one is when we externalize the cause of our suffering to groups of people, to classes of people. Like the reason I'm suffering is because of them, those others, right? All those immigrants, man, they're taking our jobs away. And it leads to alienation and anger and violence. That's where this view of suffering leads to just that anger when you externalize. There's a second view of suffering implicit in the disciples' question. When you internalize the blame, Jesus, is it his fault? Maybe this man was born blind because he sinned, right, Jesus? And people who do this, when you internalize the, the, the blame, the cause, I mean, you just heap guilt and shame upon yourself. I'm suffering, and it's probably my fault i must be a bad person god is blaming me he's punishing me for this otherwise my life would be going better right and again you see this played out in so many different ways you know someone's struggling physically and people will say well you should take better care of yourself you're keeping the cause back on them or if someone is poor a very common sentiment as well probably not working very hard are they or if you have problems, if you're struggling, it's like, well, get it together. You think you blame the person who's suffering. Jesus has nothing to do with either of those views. Whose fault is it, Jesus? His parents, himself? Jesus has neither. Christians, you know, like I said, get accused of pat answers, simplistic answers. But when you read the Bible, you see that's not the case. Jesus gets rid of these world's answers to suffering because they're too simplistic. And what Jesus is saying is that those views may see suffering, but they don't see it truly, and they don't perceive its reality. The relationship of, of sin to behavior is a complex one. You can't reduce it to it's someone else's fault or it's my fault. The Bible teaches, and it's really critical for us, the Bible tells us that suffering comes from sin in general, but not from sin in particular right? It comes from sin in general. We're all broken into this broken, we're all born into this broken, sinful world. It's a condition in which we exist, in which the suffering we have emerges from, but not so much from sin in particular. So what does Jesus see here in this blind man? If the disciples are asking the wrong question, this is a sin question, this is a blame question, what's the right question? And the right question Jesus puts forward for us is this, what is God doing in this broken situation? What can God do here? Because whenever you see a situation of brokenness, of suffering in our world, wherever life is frayed and fragile, the question to ask is not, what, what, what is the cause of this? What's the, who's to blame for this? But it is, God, what are you up to here? How might your kingdom come in this area of brokenness? Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Then the NIV translates this. It says, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. This happened so that the glory of God might be displayed. I don't know about you, but that raises just a few questions for me. You read that, and it leads you to wonder, does God ordain someone suffering? Like, did God create this man blind from birth? And if so, how can God be good and allow that to happen? And then some people would say from this, well, it's for God's glory. And then you think, really? Like, what kind of God is going to make people suffer to make himself look good? Now, I love the NIV translation we use. Um... In very rare instances, I find translations that are a little troublesome. This is one of them. This is one. Here is where I think a more literal translation, awkward as it is, is helpful to catch uh, the meaning of what Jesus is saying. I mean, innovative translators, you know, they translate into English. They try to make sure it flows well and easily so that the English is smooth. Um, but here is where an awkward translation helps us catch what Jesus is saying. Because here's the thing, you know that little underlined phrase, this happened up there? It's not in the Greek text. It was supplied by the translators. So if, if we would follow the original Greek text, it would translate this way. Jesus answered, neither. This one sinned, neither his parents. However, in order that the works of God might be manifest in him, it is necessary for us to do the work of the one who sent me. Well, it is still day, for night is coming where no one can work. So all of a sudden, you see that there's a difference here. The, in order for work God's works to be made manifest, are connected to the work that Jesus calls us to do. So rather than debating the cause of suffering, Jesus sees the opportunity of God's kingdom to be demonstrated here. Jesus sees the need, the hurt, he sees the opportunity for redemption rather than assigning blame, and he says this is the opportunity for God's glory to be made manifest by us doing the works of God in this person's life. And so he proceeds to heal the blind man. Jesus smears mud on his eyes and tells this man to go wash his eyes in the pool of Siloam. And we don't know where and when his eyes get healed. Somewhere between smearing on the mud and the washing in the pool, I don't know how long that took, but somewhere along the line, his blindness is healed. And when you think of this sort of miracle, healing the blind, giving the gift of sight, do you realize how unique this is to Jesus Christ? Nowhere in the whole Old Testament is any person, do they heal someone from blindness. Nowhere in the Old Old Testament. Nowhere in the whole New Testament do you find anyone healing a blind person. But Jesus, the only one. In the Old Testament, it it said that God alone is the one who heals and gives sight. Psalm 146 verse 6 says, the Lord gives sight to the blind. And this miracle of Jesus, remember, it's revelatory. It's teaching us something of Jesus. In, in healing the sight of a blind person, Jesus is revealing who he is. He's not just some mere miracle worker, some conjurer. If God is the only one who gives sight to the blind, this Jesus is God. And behind this miracle of, of, is, lies the hope for Messiah. I, I'm convinced John had Isaiah... In the back of his mind, all the New Testament writers were immersed in the Old Testament. And in the prophecy of Isaiah, there is the hope for the Savior to come. And throughout Isaiah, there is repeated reference to the Savior, the coming Messiah, doing what? Bringing sight to the blind. Isaiah 29, in that day, out of the gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. Later in Isaiah 35, the same hope is prophesied. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened. That's why you you don't see Jesus healing bad backs, or ingrown toenails, or baldness. I'd like that one, Jesus, but he doesn't do it, because there's a revelatory purpose in these miracles. Again, this miracle is demonstrating that Jesus is the long-awaited Savior. Remember, we said these miracles are both revelatory and redemptive. This man experiences tangibly redemption. This man born blind since birth can now see the face of his family. He can see colors, shapes. He can now take up a job instead of having to being reduced to begging. This this is the restoration going on in this miracle. God's kingdom has come to this man, this life, this instance of brokenness, the brokenness of blindness is the opportunity for the restoration of God's kingdom to come into his life. When Pastor Tim Keller talks about miracles this way, he says Jesus used miraculous power to heal the sick, feed the hungry, raise the dead. Why? We modern people think of miracles as the suspension of the natural order, but Jesus meant them to be the restoration, the redemption of the natural order. The Bible tells us that God did not originally make the world to have disease, hunger, and death in it. Jesus came to redeem all that is wrong to heal the world where it is broken. His miracles are not just proofs that he has power, but they are also wonderful foretastes of what he is going to do with that power. Jesus' miracles are not just a challenge to our minds, but they are a promise to our hearts that the world we all want is coming. It's coming. But do we have the eyes to see it? This ministry of healing Jesus does, you know, it is the ongoing ministry of us, the church. It is a ministry given to us to heal the blind. God is glorified when this ministry actually happens. Did you see what Jesus says? about that he says it is necessary for us we must do the works of him not just I it's necessary for me to do that no no no. us we must do the works of him who sent us as followers of Jesus we are empowered with his authority to do this ministry Jesus sends you and me disciples sent to heal the sick I urge you to seek God for that to to explore how you might be used of God in this ministry. I can't say how God will act. I don't know how God heals. I don't know all the ins and outs of it. I've seen instances of God healing, sometimes using me in ways that I could never imagine, and yet at other times praying and nothing happens. All I do know is God urges us, asks us, pray, ask for this, These miracles of Jesus, they're promises to our heart that God still is at work restoring all things, and we are to be a part of that. So wherever there is brokenness in this world, we are called to enter into that, to seek the restoration and redemption of Jesus. So pray for that, would you? For yourself, for your family, for the city. But pray also for the miracle of Jesus healing our spiritual blindness. And I don't want to spiritualize this text, but there is a layer to it, of it. There is a physical healing going on, but there is a layer of of a wider spiritual blindness. Because in a very real way, the man born blind points to all of us. And you see that throughout the the, the passage here. Um, The friends, the neighbors of the blind man, they're not sure this actually happened the Pharisees are are, are just like actively refuting the accounts that Jesus healed this that they just refuse to see a miracle that's right in front of them which makes me wonder about me what am I blind to the blind man says I was once blind but now I see and sometimes in my life it feels like the best I can get to is I was once blind and now I just have really bad vision the truth the Bible tells us is that we're all spiritually blind, that no one of us sees accurately, truly, without the healing of Jesus Christ. None of us will really see God's presence without His help. And so maybe the most important prayer that the, the most profound miracle God can provide is to open our eyes so that we might see deeper and more truly, so that we might perceive the fullness of reality. Would you dare pray that today? God, would you heal my blind eyes? God, I know I can be so confident of what I know, so sure that I see certainly accurately, but God, heal my eyes so I can see you, so I can see the world, so I can see others and myself through your eyes. Show me that there is so much more to see, so much more possibility, so much more grace, so much more forgiveness, so much more life. Jesus has come to reveal the larger reality that is present among us, the kingdom of God. Jesus has come to heal our blindness, opening our eyes to a world where there is compassion and feasting, where enemies are given parties, a world where you don't get what you really deserve, where instead you get mercy and grace. We... Jesus came to show us a God-filled, a God-saturated world, a universe filled with love, infused by grace, where every moment reveals the face of God waiting to be discovered, where every place you set your foot shows God's hand stretching out towards you in love and acceptance, waiting to be discovered, every place showing God's hand, embracing you, calling you, That's the reality our world needs to see so desperately. And I think part of the healing ministry Jesus calls us to participate in is part of the healing of the spiritual blindness in our broader world, helping others to see. I can't urge you enough to be in prayer for God to open the eyes of our world, of our city, because there's a blindness in our city, isn't there? among our friends and our family, people you work with, who who you can talk about faith, and and it feels like there's a veil, there's a shroud there that they just can't penetrate through, can't see. This post-Christian secular worldview blinds people to seeing some of the reality of God, and only God can heal that. And we don't judge people for that, right? We don't blame people for that. You don't blame a blind person for their blindness. Instead, Jesus, the question he puts to us is, do you see the opportunity here? Do you see this is an instance in where God's kingdom can come alive, where you can be an agent of God's healing. One of the most powerful acts of ministry we have is we can persistently pray for God to heal the blindness of our secular culture, for God to give the gift of of sight to our friends, our colleagues, who know somewhere in their heart and sense there's, there's more to life. I know it. I can sense it. There's some rumor of glory I've heard. I just can't see it. Pray, God, open their eyes. Heal their blindness. Would you do that? Would you regularly pray to God for people in your circle of connections to heal their blindness, to open their eyes? As you go to school or work tomorrow, pray for all those people around you. God, open their eyes so that they might see your beauty and your glory. And let's, let's not ask god politely either (laughs) because i think we're sort of out of other options right now in our time it's only jesus who can heal our blindness so let's pray boldly god show yourself restore our sight restore and heal the sight of others around us because you know what despite my limited vision despite your limited vision The Bible tells us this world, it is so charged with the grandeur of God. Imagine how differently life could be if we really saw God's presence with us every moment, everywhere. Imagine if you, your friends, your colleagues knew we are not alone in this world. That a mighty God of love and wisdom sees us with the greatest affection and love. Imagine if we were able to see our ordinary human lives filled with meaning and purpose because of God's living presence with us. And that makes me want to pray, Jesus, heal our blindness. Let's do that now. Let's pray. Be thou our vision, O God. That's our simple prayer, God. Open our eyes so we might see. God, we confess we look for so many things and we miss seeing what really is. Jesus, thank you that there is more to see than just what we look for. There's more to see in myself than just what I look for. There's more to see in my enemies than what I look for in them. There's more to see in this city than just what I look for. And so this week, God, as we enter the corporate towers and construction sites, as we walk into our offices and storefronts and schools, as we ride up elevators and commute on subways, would you open our eyes? Help us to see you in our workplaces, God. Help us to see our jobs as holy callings, as a way to glorify and honor you, to meet you and experience your presence. And as we read our news feeds, God, and as we watch Uh, the news of the world and hear about crimes and wars and environmental disasters. God, we pray that you would open our eyes to see who is really in control of this world. Would you open our eyes to see that the powers and principalities of this world do not prevail? Open our eyes to see that the power of love and grace and compassion and mercy are stronger than any force. And God, today for those who might feel like they've never seen you, who've never seen Jesus, who wouldn't say they're Christians, but who aren't sure this world isn't a God-filled place. Maybe they've had hints of it, God, but they're just not sure. Would you open their eyes? Would you help them to see that Jesus sees them with infinite love? Would you help them to see, God, that you not only exist, but you are a God of profound love? And that you desire relationship. You desire communion. Thank you, God, that you see us and know us. Heal our blind eyes, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.